Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles True Crime Podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that if he goes the extra mile, then he's missed his exit. It's Dale. <laughs> Ain't that the damn truth? Yeah. I'm never going the extra mile. <laughs> me neither. No, 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 no. I will take my exit when I get to it. That's right. Yeah. I'm way ahead of you. Way ahead of you. I need to get over because the exit's only 10 miles. I got to be over here. I'm going to get over in the right lane. <laughs> that truck's going to screw me if I wait till the last minute. Yeah. What's going on, dude? What's happening? Uh, I'm ready to record, bud. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, been a hot week, ain't it? Man, it's been just soaking hot. Mm-hmm. Smoking hot. Smoking. Smoking. Yep. The humidity. That's the South for you, bud. That's right. It's not that dry heat, you know. No, it's it's a wet heat. It's a <laughs> it's just a wet heat. Swamp ass heat. Yes. Yeah, swamp ass. <laughs> I'm telling you, hundred degree days are not fun. No, and you got to have the gold bond. Yeah, jump in the pool. Yep. You got any good shout outs? Anybody want to talk about or mention before we go going today? Good shout outs, mentions, or talk abouts. Let me see. How about we give a shout out to a couple of new folks coming in here. Shout out to our friend Monica Stump, who she says uh, she listens every night while she goes to bed, even if she's heard it a million times. So we appreciate you saying that. I guess we're your, your melatonin, just per se. Man. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening, and uh, keep on listening. I don't know if it's good we're putting somebody to sleep or not. Well, you know, put the jammers on. We need to, we need some crack house jammers. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sleepwear. Yeah. Fat bridge is what I call Anyway, so we'll give a shout out to our friend uh, Dana Cordry. And uh, she's a new listener. Says she can't express how much she really digs us with just a five-star review on her uh, podcast app. And she, uh, we seem like some nice folks who really d- deserve some appreciation. And uh, she enjoys every aspect of our show. Wow, every aspect. I'm telling you, man. She's pushing hard. You know she was yeah. getting a shout-out. Yeah. <laughs> we really appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much. We're we really you, do. You joined, yep. uh, you, uh, you uh, jumped on and uh, welcome aboard. And we got a one from our YouTube friends, Freelancer. It just says, simply, always a good show, brothers. And we really appreciate you. And we're a little bit behind <laughs> on uploading to YouTube, but I will get caught up on it pretty soon. Yeah, we'll have it. We get caught up and then we get behind, but it's yeah, all good. It's all good. It's all good. Our uh, main uh, podcast platforms, we, we try to get those first. Right. Yeah. yeah. And stay right Apple, on top of that. So, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yeah. Pandora, and all those. And uh, guess what? What's that? We're still not on Samsung. No, we're not. Damn it. No. We're trying. Yep. I think it uh, has to do with uh, the rotation and letting so many on the platform at a time. Yeah, I'm sure they've been bombarded with you know requests to get on there. So, mm-hmm. Like you said, you've done all you can do. We'll get there when we get there. Yep. But. And our, our host is saying that everything is good on our end for them to... Just hook it up, dude. Yeah, just plug it in. Also, I'd like to say thanks to everybody who has uh, joined our fans of the crack house chronicles uh facebook page seemed to be a good number of folks jumped on there in the last couple of weeks or so so appreciate everybody jumping on and uh you guys feel free to post up and start up some conversations and let's have a good time there yeah we try to make it light and, and good time for everybody on there yeah post some memes and some funny stuff it's all good yeah it's a big family fun and it's, we appreciate everybody that listens and if you want to go over to apple podcast and leave a rate and review please do it helps us yeah, five star. It helps us a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, it does. We appreciate you. Maybe we can get on Samsung. All right, everybody, just go email Samsung. Go ask where we are. Yeah, <laughs> we'll start it up a groundswell to get on there. Yeah, let them have it. Yeah, tell them all about us. All right, dude, we're gonna get into our case this week. All righty, man. Sounds good. Let's yeah. roll. And you know, everybody thinks that nine eleven when that took place, 
it changed the world. Well, it did. It did. It really did. But before that, in 1982, there was a an incident that really changed the world. Yeah, way before him. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that today. This is uh, the Tylenol murders. Mm. And if anybody's not familiar with it, it man, it shook the nation and the world, really. Yeah, I remember this very vividly. And uh, it's kind of funny when I was talking to my kids and stuff about what we're doing this week that they had never heard of it. So. It's pretty good. Yeah, I've told my kids about it, and they're not familiar with it. And I was like, "Do you not know about tamper-resistant bottles and Everything, stuff?" Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is where this come from. That's right. Of course, it was forty years ago this year. So, forty years ago, crazy this fall. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a good time to do it. The anniversary of it, and you know, bring some uh, more attention to it if we can. Yeah, bring some light to it and let everybody know. This is why it takes you twenty-five minutes and a pair of pliers and a knife and. A, Anything else you can get to get into a bottle of pills. Yep. But <laughs> but getting into the Tylenol murders deal, it, it shook the Chicago metropolitan area. Oh, yeah. And the country in the fall of 82. Panic, man. Yep. And over the course of a few days, there were seven people that died of cyanide poisoning after taking what they believed just to be Tylenol. Right. And it's it, crazy. Yeah. On September the 29th of 1982, there was a 12-year-old girl. Her name was Mary Kellerman. Now, she was a 7th grader at Adams Junior High School in Schumburg, Chicago, and living in Chicago's northwest suburbs. And from all accounts, you know, she liked horseback riding. she done some babysitting to earn a little extra money and mm-hmm. uh, just for the neighborhood kids. Yeah, just a little good, good kid. Yeah. yeah. But on September the 29th, Mary woke up early that morning and wasn't feeling too good. Yeah, she didn't feel good at all. Nope. And her parents told her just to stay home that day and take an extra strength Tylenol. Right, and help her with a runny nose, sore throat, and that kind of stuff. Or, or just to knock out a few symptoms and go back to bed. Yeah. And at 7 a.m., her parents found her unconscious on the bathroom floor. Yeah, her dad said that, uh, you know, he'd give her the pills, you know, whatever, and then he had heard her go in the bathroom, and then he'd heard a thump. So he went to the door, knocked on the door, and asked her, was she okay? He didn't get a response. He asked again, still no response, and when he opened the door, he just found her on the floor. Yeah. Man, I would flip out. Yeah, and her parents rushed her to the hospital where Mary was pronounced dead by 9.30 a.m. So you think about it, it's just two hours. Man, and her death was first assumed to be a stroke. At, you know, her 12-year-old. Right, which is crazy. I guess that's just, you know, if we can't figure it out, just write down a stroke. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, of all... Everything else was healthy. She just didn't feel well that yep. morning, you know. But she left behind her parents, Dennis and Gina M. Kellerman. And Mary Kellerman was laid to rest in the St. Michael, the Archangel Catholic Cemetery hmm. there in the Chicago area. Sad, man. Yeah, bad stuff, man. And the same day, September the 29th of 1982, there was... 27-year-old Adam Yanis, he was taking some extra strength Tylenol. He wasn't feeling too good that day. No, I think he was a, a mailman. He was a postal worker, yeah. senior postal worker there right. in Chicago. And uh, he didn't feel well. He had came home early and uh, ate some lunch and took a couple, told, uh, told his wife he was going to take a couple of Tylenols and lay down for a mm-hmm. while. And after a while, she went in and uh, found him on the bed convulsing yep but he was on his way home from picking up the kids from preschool and he stopped at a jewel grocery store that's where he purchased mm. a bottle of extra strength tylenol that day right so he just bought the bottle and took it home and 
just popped it open and took mm-hmm. it around, yeah. Yeah, and according to the Chicago Tribune, it was quoted as saying after taking several capsules, he walked into his bedroom, collapsed, and fell into a coma. Wow. And he died in the emergency room at Northwest Community Hospital. So this is like really fast. Very this fast. stuff is just not, not nothing to play with. Uh-huh. But this is what's strange. After the death of Adam, you know, his family were pretty torn up about this. You know, oh, him I'm being sure. so young and healthy, being down at the hospital for hours probably. And they came home, I guess, to make arrangements and try to get their heads together what they were going to do. They're probably just trying to wrap their head around the whole situation because it's like, I mean, everything's fine and then he's dead. Yep. You know, so it's just that quick. But there at the house, um, Adam's brother Stanley. And his wife, Teresa. Yeah, I think he was 25, and she was only 19. Yeah. Young folks, yeah. Yeah, but they were they were at the house, and they were complaining of headaches, which I, I can imagine. Probably stressed out, dude. Yep. And they were looking for something for their headache. Right. And there in Adam's bathroom cabinet, they found that same bottle of extra-strength Tylenol. Mm. And just a few minutes after taking it. Take a couple capsules. Yeah, they collapsed. Yeah. I think he he collapsed first, and she actually called nine one one, and then by the time that uh, that they arrived, she was having the same symptoms. Yeah. So it was like, what the heck is going on here? Well, what's crazy is they were thinking that it was carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, which you know, I guess they're trying to find something that makes sense. Why is all these people all of a sudden they're healthy and fine, and now they're in this house and they're falling out? So yeah. it would kind of make sense, you know, if, if that's what you're looking for. And the rest of the family, they were taken to the hospital for observation. And this is what's crazy. They were given their last rites. Mm. But there was nothing wrong with They hadn't right. taken any Tylenol, but none of them died from anything. That's got to be scary, dude. Yeah, I'm telling you. Because you're there at the house planning your brother's funeral, and then you see... Yeah, his, the brother and his wife both fall out. Just fall out. Yeah. Mm. That is just unreal. It's crazy. But the Yanises, they were survived by the parents, uh, Ted and Aljosa Yanis. They have a niece, Monica Yanis, uh, another brother, Joseph Yanis, Teresa's brother, Robert Tarasowitz, and her mother, Helen Tarasowitz. And there was a host of other family members and friends right. that were just devastated from this loss. I mean, three family members in one day. Within a couple hours, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. You know, that's unheard of, really, unless it's like a bad car accident or something, you know. Yeah. But there was a joint funeral that was held for the three Yanis family victims on October the 5th of 1982. Mm. With uh, Archbishop Joseph Baranundum presiding. And Adam Yanis was laid to rest at Mary Hill Catholic Cemetery and Mausoleum in Niles. This is in Cook County, Illinois. And his brother Stanley and Teresa Yanis were laid to rest at St. Peter and Paul Cemetery in Naperville. This is in DuPage County. So actually, we talked about DuPage County in our one of our recent episodes with uh, Brian Dugan. Yeah, yeah. Ain't that crazy? It is. Yep. Overlapping. Crazy. Mm-hmm. But now, the same day, September the 29th, this is uh, Mary Reiner. She was married to her husband, Ed, and they had a just welcomed their fourth kid. Yeah, brand new mom again. Yeah, fourth child. I think it was a little boy she had had. Yeah, well, yes, it was. And she was using some Tylenol to relieve some, I guess, symptoms of post-birth discomfort. Yeah, she just got, just came home from the hospital. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Right. 
And like all the other victims, Mary Reiner took some Tylenol and collapsed just after taking it. Right. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, it said that and when they started looking into it, that she only had like a regular strength Tylenol, but she had some extra strength that they think she brought home from the hospital mm-hmm. because it was just a couple pills. It wasn't like she had a, a bottle. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy if she, if she got it from there. But I don't know. It just got to... It's kind of confusing in a way because, you know, the other ones are just coming off the shelves. So I don't know, but that's just a a theory. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know. And their daughter, Michelle Rosen, she was just eight years old when she saw her mother die. Yeah, collapse of the floor in front of her. That's crazy. And we talk a little bit more about Michelle in a little bit. Right. But, and it was quoted by the Chicago Magazine, her husband, Ed, was quoted as saying, I came home right after she had fallen on the floor. An ambulance came and rushed her to Central DuPage Hospital in Winfield. You know, and you got to also remember this is uh, 1982, so all this happened and nobody's linking this any of this together no. because it's, it's not easily shared information. No. There's not, you know, cell phones and um, uh, social media and that kind of stuff going on back then. Yep. It was just different parts but it's it's all basically in the chicago area but just different little places but mary's mary reiner's death left her husband ed to raise the kids and you know with four children including an infant son to grow up without a mom right now the next day on september the 30th of 1982 this is a 38 year old mary mcfarland now she was working her job at the illinois bell in lombard yeah you know phone company yeah Little uh, rotary phones. Yeah, good old, good old rotary phones. <laughs> and this one, according to her co-workers, she felt like she was having a bad headache coming on. Right. And according to her brother, Jack Eliason, Mary took some Tylenol in the back room of her workplace and died just shortly after. Mm-hmm. This is what he told the Associated Press. And he just said that she went in the back room and took, I don't know how many Tylenol, at least one, obviously, and within minutes, she was on the floor. Yeah, and it was said that she had taken a few out of this bottle previously. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's kind of like a Russian roulette thing going on here. Yeah. Easy for me to say. But, yeah, so this is, it's really crazy what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Now, she was a single mom working and raising two young boys at the time of her death. And her boys were Ryan and Bradley McFarlane. And she is also survived by her parents, John and Jane Eliason, a brother, Jack Eliason, and a sister-in-law, Nancy, and some siblings. And she has a granddaughter that she never had a chance to meet and was named Mary in her honor. Oh, wow. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Now, moving just... Another day. Yeah. On October the 1st, a lady by the name of Paula Prince, she was 35, and she was a flight attendant who worked for United Airlines. Now, this day, she had flew from Las Vegas to O'Hare International Airport. And she purchased some Tylenol from a Walgreens on her way home. And there was an ATM surveillance camera captured the purchase. Right. Which is wild because if you think about it, there's not really any cameras at all. Well, I mean, I'm sure there were some, but not not like today. Is A camera on being anywhere is pretty rare mm-hmm. back in this time. So I guess just that ATM just happened to be in the right place to to grab his screenshot or whatever yep and she was pretty tired from this long flight and she took some tylenol to relieve some symptoms of a cold as she got ready for bed Mm -hmm. and but she was found in her apartment dead with an open bottle of tylenol 
that was found on her bathroom counter. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking uh, didn't uh, they did a wellness check on her? Yeah, they, her she yet. wasn't answering she, the phone. Yeah, her sister like had called uh, the authorities and wanted them to do a wellness check on mm-hmm. her because then nobody could get a hold of her. Yep. Yeah. So she was there, and the, the bottle was still open on the counter. Yep. Now, Paula's funeral was held in Omaha at the same time the Yanis family victims on October the 5th of 1982. And she was laid to rest at Calvary Cemetery in Omaha. This is Douglas County, Nebraska. And she was survived by her father, Lloyd Prince, her mother, Margaret Prince, and siblings, Carol Lyle, Margaret Conway, and Robert Prince. Hmm, This is just crazy. But now the authorities, they were attributing these deaths to natural causes or carbon monoxide and just random stuff instead of what was really going on. Right. But what it was, it was after the deaths of the three members of the Yanis family, this is what was starting to link some stuff together. Yes. Well, you know, and I think really if you think about it, those, uh, uh, like I guess the paramedics or whoever came in, Mm -hmm. they were smart enough to – to, bob, to uh, bag some of that stuff up to take it to get tested. Yes. Because they knew, when I guess they went in and asked the right questions and what's going on, we don't know. All I know is they took some Tylenol because they didn't feel good. Next thing you know, they was falling over. So. Even with the first victim, Mary Kellerman, they took the Tylenol with them. Right. Yeah. So, But so, that was smart. Some smart some smart stuff going on, and, and it's just hard for them to put it together since all these are so uh, separate incidents. Yep. Yeah. But the investigators examined the bottles and observed what they thought was an almond smell. Right. Because cyanide is known to smell like bitter almonds. Right. So a little bit of spoiler alert. That's what was in the capsules. Yes. Somebody replaced the Tylenol medicine in the capsules with cyanide. Kind of reminds you of the Richard Kuklinski stuff from the Iceman, man. Yeah. That's what he used. Yep. But, yeah, on testing the capsules, it proved to be laced with potassium cyanide at a toxic level, mm-hmm. enough to provide thousands of fatal doses. This was according to Time magazine. Mm. But what took place was there were two firefighters. Their names were Richard Keyworth of Elk Grove Village and a Lieutenant Philip Capitelli of Arlington Heights. And these guys, they need to be praised for what they did on this. They first developed the theory that Tylenol capsules were responsible, mm-hmm. and they passed their thoughts on to a guy. Well, actually, there's a doctor named Dr. Thomas Kim. Now, he was the chief of critical care at Northwest Community, and he handled the death of the Yanises, all three of the, right. the two brothers and the <clears throat> sister-in-law of Adam. But they weren't linking the first victim, Mary Kellerman, to the death of Adam, Stanley, and Teresa at all at this time but when the news broke of the deaths there was panic oh yeah across chicago and actually getting across the nation because at this time uh wgn the superstation right news superstation was uh nationwide oh yeah so it was getting out and police were issuing warnings against using tylenol through loudspeakers on the street. They were riding up down the streets. Right, trying to get the word out. Yeah. Not like you could tweet it or anything. And crowds of people turned up at local hospitals because they had taken Tylenol. Yeah, just scared to death. Mm-hmm. People calling the Poison Control Center. It's what's bad is they would call and say, hey, I just took Tylenol. Am I okay? They say, if you're talking to me, yeah, you're okay. Yeah. 
feel good because you know it's so fast you know if, if you weren't okay you'd know it by now yeah because right. once you take it i mean it's like immediate yeah once it hits the body that cyanide it reacts with the oxygen and doesn't let the oxygen uh enter the, the cells in your body right and it's almost like you, it suffocates you mm-hmm. you're able to breathe but the cells aren't able to yeah it doesn't do you any good to breathe exactly all right now dale johnson and johnson they are the parent company of tylenol yeah and you think about you know how big of big a deal this is because tylenol was by head and shoulders of the number one pain reliever yeah it was you know powerhouse yeah yeah i think they own like 30 37 percent of all all sales yeah in this in this uh, uh pain relievers yeah yes 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 so johnson and johnson's early reaction to the to all this went down in history mm-hmm. as like a remarkable public relations reaction i mean it was like a what to do when something bad happens yeah so much that they now use it as the textbook way to do it yeah pretty much but at first they i guess they didn't really know what to do and but they did the right thing when in the outcome yeah they did but as soon as johnson johnson was made aware of the poison capsules they formed a strategy and they had two questions to answer how do we protect people? And second was, how do we save this product? Right. Which, you know, save the people, that's that's the main Number thing. Number one, yeah, consumer yep. comes first. And what they did, they issued a warning to all consumers via media outlets not to take any Tylenol products. Mm-hmm. I, well, they set up a 1-800 line and established to directly handle calls from people that were panicking. Oh, yeah, you know people flipping out. And a media line for communication with reporters. Mm-hmm. And stores were instructed to remove all bottles from the shelves. Yeah, at first, you know, they was like, well, because, you know, we don't think all of it's wrong. They, they didn't really know what was going on. It seemed to be it was in, it wasn't all the pills, but it was some pills with, with different uh, control numbers. So it just, it was, it, nothing was making sense, really. Mm-mm. So I think uh, they basically just went ahead and started pulling stuff just to be safe. Yeah. And when two more poison bottles were identified, Johnson & Johnson initiated a massive nationwide product recall. Yeah, I think at first they were just trying to do those around Chicago, but then they found some more and they're like, no, we got to get them all. Yeah, we got to do the right thing. Yep. And they were urging all consumers to return medication for a full refund. Mm-hmm. And they even offered a $100,000 reward to anyone who could identify a suspect in this. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And which would be about 302000 eight hundred ninety seven dollars today yeah because they were actually they at first they were thinking that johnson and johnson and tylenol it happened at the the plant one of the plants yeah yes and then there's like well i don't think of there because the numbers were different Mm -hmm. you know because they said that their uh, supply line is their supply chain is pretty uh it's uh, hard to explain how it all works. Some, they make some stuff, and then stuff goes into one distribution area, and then they bust it up to other ones and send them out different ways. But everything seemed to be happening in this one little area. And one thing, too, that made them think that it didn't come from the distribution center was these lot numbers and these pills that were bottled were bottled way back in the early part of the year. And they determined that if cyanide would have been put in them pills at that time, it would have eaten through the, the little gel cap. Stuff. Yes, yeah. so it couldn't have been. It had to have been done within just a couple or three days right. of people ingesting this Tylenol. <clears throat> but in the aftermath of the scare, they introduced a triple seal packaging on Tylenol. In mm-hmm. total, five poison bottles were lethal. 
three were identified in the recall and did not result in loss of life. Right. So basically, when they recalled everything, I forget it was 30, 30 something million bottles, I think. Yeah. They lost over $100 million in this recall, which today's money would be $302,897,409. Yeah. But you got to do what you got to do. So basically, when they went into action, they pretty much done everything they can do basically with them being a victim themselves i mean i mean you know you can't they didn't never never tried to push the real the real victims as far as the people who lost their life out of the spotlight but they were basically a victim of this horrendous crime whatever's yeah. going on here pretty much turned themselves into a hero with the way they uh acted here because mm, whoever did this used their product as a vehicle to poison people yeah so they were just a victim, just like everybody else, like you said. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But now, according to the International Herald Tribune, uh, marketers predicted that Tylenol wouldn't never recover from this. Right. I mean, you think about it, you know, that's a, that's a hard, well, I was going to say it's a hard pill to swallow, but <laughs> that's, that's probably not a good way to put it. But, I mean, this is a, a, a huge loss, mm-hmm. you know, and when you lose the confidence of the public in it's hard to get them back, especially yeah. with something this serious. I know. But only two months later, Tylenol was headed back to the market, and this time in tamper-proof packaging, and it bolstered an extensive media campaign, which what that's what they needed to do. Yeah. And a year later, its share of the $1.2 billion market, which had plunged to 7% from 37%, following the poison had climbed back to 30 percent right so they done the right thing yeah I they, mean, they lost a the big time but you know to do that and pull all that stuff back in and your numbers hit the ground and you're back up you know in pretty pretty fast pace here but at bottom line johnson and johnson was able to save the company exactly and, yeah so yes. that was that's yeah like i said this is what's taught in classrooms as far as what to do in disasters now despite the good press johnson and johnson wasn't entirely off the hook Dale asserting that the pharmaceutical company should have been prepared for product tampering the families sued Johnson and Johnson hmm. and in 1991 the families of all seven victims agreed to a settlement for an undisclosed amount one of the provisions of the settlement was that a portion of the settlement would go and be in the form of annuities to pay the college cost of the eight victims children which, the victims eight children yeah well, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's that's kind of rough if you're suing them because they should have known better. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, yeah, come on, man. But I mean, I and uh, I don't know. I would say that probably Johnson Johnson just said, "Okay, we get it. We understand your pain, and uh, yeah. we'll just do this." And I'm sure they didn't try to fight and all that. Yeah, I just, could be wrong, but it just with all the good press that they're getting right now, I could see it, dragging through the court would not be good. Yeah, we're we're on a high. Let's just do it. Yeah, and, and let's do the right thing here. Yeah, and pay for these kids to go to college or whatever they need and help these families out. Yeah. Now, the Chicago Tylenol murders it inspired hundreds of copycat poisonings mm. in the years that followed, and through these crimes were not committed by the same murderer who killed the seven people in 82. The people killed in the copycat crimes should be honored among the seven victims who perished in the original crime. Yeah. Now, getting back to the victims, the like we said, the catalyst for the investigation was the deaths of the three members of the Yanis family. 
with their deaths, the investigators eventually connected the dots, Dale. Right. And it was on the night of September the 29th. This was Nick Pichu's. He was an investigator for Cook County. He compared the Tylenol bottle from the Yanis household to the Tylenol bottle from Mary Kellerman's house. They had the same control number. Yeah. They had MZ-2880. Yes. And the deputy medical examiner told Pichos to smell the bottles. And, of course, they smelled like almonds. Yep. Man, good thing he didn't put it in almond extract or anything like that because he never would have known. And it's said that people can only smell uh, cyanide that smells like almonds. It's only a percentage of people that can actually smell that smell. Yeah, that's weird. Just a small, like like 32%. Of uh, people who smell it can only smell the almond smell. I'd be dead because I love almonds. Yeah. <laughs> now, blood tests of the victims would show that the victims had a dose of cyanide that was 100 to 1,000 times the lethal amount. Isn't that crazy? And exposure to large doses can result in seizures, respiratory failure, and cardiac arrest. So it kind of tells me that whoever was doing this is not very controlled in how much they put in these capsules mm-hmm. so it seems like they were what do you think is going on here this is somebody's bought up a bunch and took them apart and then put cyanide back in them and then put them back in the bottle somehow yeah i mean me and you talked about this off the air and my theory is that somebody just bought some tylenol at different places because uh they had like two or three different lot numbers yep and they might have went to one store and bought some tylenol Went to another store and bought some Tylenol. I guess not to make it too obvious that they were buying Tylenol. Right. Because if you went into a store and bought eight bottles of Tylenol, it would look kind of weird. Kind of weird. Yeah. But, you know, you got to remember, this was a time when there weren't any barcodes. Nope. They were, you know, you you bought a a product, it had a price on it. That's it. And they rung it up at the register. Mm -hmm. There was no inventory control or anything like that. Right. And remember, the box, it came in a box like they do now, but the box was not glued. It just had the tuck tab, you know. So you could take the box, open the box, take the pill bottle out, which just had a snap on top, pop the top off of it, take the cotton out, and you got the pills. Yeah. There was no no full covering the, the, the mouth of the bottle. There was no shrink wrap over the lid. And the bottle in the uh, the boxes were not glued shut. No. So it was very easy for somebody to that had, I guess, some kind of uh, chemical background or whatever. Somebody could get a hold of the, the cyanide to because uh, the the capsules. Then you could just take the two pieces and pull them apart and dump the stuff out of the inside, replace stuff, and then push them back together. And you can you couldn't really tell that anybody had done anything with them. Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, I said, I think, and that's what they did. It's like, in, you know, and every pill in the bottle wasn't done. It was only a certain number. We don't know how many were, were in each bottle. But, you know, like uh, the lady at the phone place, she had taken a few out of there and never got nothing. And the next one she took killed her. That was like, like you said, Russian roulette. Yeah, or I tried to say it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I think they uh, took it and probably took them home and then, doctored them up and then just go to the store like getting something just walk up and set it right on the you know the front of the line so whoever come by next was the lucky winner of the bottle that's going to kill you when you mm-hmm. take the first pill out of it because if you're doing that then if you're replacing boxes and bottles on the shelf nobody's looking for that they're looking for shoplifters but if you go in with a bottle and just 
just happened to put it on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Like you're picking up and looking at it right. and put it back. Nobody's going to question anything. Yeah, don't think nothing about it. Yeah. A little sleight of hand, you can put it on the shelf and be done. Right. And, you know, if, I guess if, you gotta, if there was one that actually had a sticker on the box instead of, you know, underneath them on the row on the on the shelver, you'd have to take the same box back to the same store because your price marker wouldn't match the rest of them. But, That's true. You know, as long as you knew what you are doing or, or just if they had the, the price sticker underneath it, you know, or whatever, no way to ever know the difference. No, they wouldn't. It'd be, it'd be very easy to do. Then. Yeah, then, yeah, yes. Yeah. 1982. Yeah, so, you know, and it's kind of crazy. Like, we talked about whoever did it, like, what's the motive, you know? It's just... It's terrorism, that's, that's man. That's so scary. It's basically, I don't know if it's the first one, but it's definitely one of the the most prominent uh, domestic terrorism. I mean, it's oh, God. Yeah. You just go around and sticking stuff in a bottle that, and you, you know, people's just going to just take them that's what you do you go oh i gotta i don't feel good mm-hmm. and you think about it, how many times you now if you got a fever you don't feel good you just instinctively you just go grab the Tylenol and take a couple yeah you're gonna feel better yeah so, it's mm. gonna knock the edge off and you're gonna right so it was the same yeah. then but man a whole different result yeah but now there were some suspects in all this Mm-hmm. And the manufacturers were ruled out because the bottles came from different pharmaceutical companies and all the deaths that occurred in Chicago and the surrounding areas. Well, I think they had like a ton of suspects at first, and then they whittled it down to about 1,200, and then down from that. Yeah. But the two major ones are these here. Yeah. Okay. Now, the first suspect was Roger Arnold, and he was a 48-year-old dock worker. And he was overheard saying some suspicious things things about the Tylenol murders in a bar and the police were questioning him and they found several connections on him now he worked at a jewel warehouse with Mary Reiner's father who was one of the victims mm-hmm. and the jewel you know the jewel company was where several bottles were bought from yes yeah now Adam Yanis he bought his Tylenol from a jewel convenience store right and Mary Reiner bought her bottle from a store that was right across from a psychiatric ward where Arnold's wife was. So, so, so far, it's pretty easy to can see why they were giving him the eye, you know? Yeah, I mean, he was linked to, to some of this. I mean, it, it was looking in, in favor of him. Yeah, and I think he had a, a whole lot more stuff that kind of made him look bad, you know? Yeah, and they went to his home. Yeah. And the officers found a how-to crime book. Yeah, it was kind of a how-to kill people. Yeah. Yeah. And there was evidence of some, like, DIY chemistry going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, and I think they found, like, five unregistered guns yeah. in his house and some other equipment. No, they found out a bag that had potassium carbonate, but he had also had some cyanide at one time and told him he hadn't had none in maybe six months. Like, yeah. damn. Like, who keeps cyanide around the house? Right. Yeah. And even his wife had said something about, you know, there was that one time I took some Tylenol and it made me sick, but I think it was just because I overate. So they're like, I'm sure they're thinking, is this guy practicing on his wife, you know, just putting a little bit in there? I mean, you know, so I can definitely see why they think, you know, this guy's the number one suspect. Yeah. But now Arnold, he refused to take a polygraph. Right. There was never enough evidence to prosecute him. But now get this. Arnold went on to have a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. from the attention of all this media and him being blamed for everything. Well, if you think about it now, I mean, this is craziness going on, hysteria. Yeah. You know, and everybody wants somebody to blame. And you're the first one that comes up 
And so everybody, in, you know, pretty much in everybody's mind, you're guilty whether you do it or not, especially with all that stuff they found. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you come up, you're guilty. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure he got hammered pretty hard, you know, in the out in the media and in the public. And what was crazy, he blamed everything on a bar owner. Yeah, because he was the one who said this guy's here saying suspicious stuff. Yeah. Right. He blamed it on a guy named Marty Sinclair. Mm-hmm. And in 1983, it was during the summer, um, Roger Arnold shot and killed a man named John Stanisha. Mm-hmm. And he actually thought that Stanisha was Marty Sinclair. Right. It was like misidentification. He just thought it was, it was him. He killed the wrong guy. Yeah. But Roger Arnold received a 30-year sentence for second-degree murder, but only served 15 years of it. Yeah, because they gave it to him for a second-degree murder. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of iffy to me because you still killed him on purpose. He just happened to be the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, that's messed up. Man. Yeah, I don't know why that's not first-degree. It, it was definitely meant to do it. It was planned. Yeah. He just killed the wrong guy. He just killed the wrong guy. So why does that make it even any less important? Yep. In my eyes. But Roger Arnold, he died in June of 2008. Mm-hmm. So this had to, you know, if, whether he was in on it or not, it still affected him. Right. Now, suspect number two was a guy named James Lewis. Now, this guy, he was a tax accountant. And what he did, he sent a photocopy of a handwritten letter to johnson and johnson mm-hmm. and <laughs> it says uh johnson and johnson parent of mcneil laboratories gentlemen that's who it was addressed to gentlemen as you can see it's easy to place cyanide both potassium and sodium in the capsules sitting on a store shelf and since the cyanide is in the, the gelatin it is easy to get the buyers to swallow the bitter pill another beauty is that the cyanide operates quickly so it takes very little there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I've spent less than $50. It takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want the killing to stop, then wire $1 million. Bank account number 84495970 at Continental Illinois Bank, Chicago, Illinois. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls uh, by me will undo anything you can possibly do. Wow. What a dumbass. Yeah. And authorities know it was from Lewis because it had his fingerprints on it. <laughs> now, it was, uh, you know, postmarked from New York. Yeah. But the bank account was from Illinois, so it was yeah. kind of weird. But now there was a, an arrest warrant issued on December 13th, and he was spotted at a public library annex in New York. Right. Which ended that manhunt. So what happened is, actually, the, the bank account was to a travel agency where his wife used to work. It didn't belong to him at all. No. He was trying, he was pissed off. What happened is where his wife used to work, they shut down, I guess, closed down or whatever, and his wife never got the last paycheck. Yeah, so was, he was pissed off about that. Yeah, she was stiffed out of about $511. So he's, you know, he's one of those guys who just can't let stuff go. So he's like, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to send him a letter and then put this guy's, uh, bank account information on it and they're going to go get him so mm-hmm. when they went to go get the guy he's like well yeah this is my account but this is closed said but i bet you i know who sent this and sure enough that's who it was yeah because he was trying to get back even with him with that five hundred dollars but now this letter wasn't the only piece of evidence that led the police to think that he was capable of doing this crime now when he was 19 he chased his mother with an axe 
God dang. Well, in 1966, he was committed to the Missouri State Mental Hospital after he took 36 anison pills. And while he was in the mental hospital, he was diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia. And he was later claimed that those acts were his attempt to escape the Vietnam draft. And Lewis was also charged and acquitted for the murder of Raymond West. This now, is the crazy shit right yeah. here. Now, Raymond West had been found dismembered in his own home in 1978. And after the murder, Lewis and his wife, they launched a business venture that attempted to import pill-making machines to India. What you yeah. do that for? I know, but it was a short-lived adventure. Now, in 1981, Lewis was suspected of using fake addresses and mailboxes to falsify credit card applications. Hmm. The police found a ton of incriminating evidence at his home, so Lewis and his wife fled to Chicago and lived under fake names for almost a year until they got back to the Tylenol murders. Right. And also, Lewis, he bought Amtrak tickets from Chicago to New York on September the 4th of 1982. The Tylenol killer would have had to have planted the cyanide lace pills close to the, like the consumption date. Right, or they had to eat through the pills. Yeah, the cyanide. So he was he was ruled out because of that. Yeah, they're basically saying he wasn't in Chicago at the time. Yeah, right. Now some investigators said that it's possible that the perpetrator flew into O'Hare, rented a car, planned the poison, then left Chicago. Now there are. Some surveillance from one of the drugstores that shows a man that could have been Lewis, but they didn't have a positive ID, and no one could place Lewis in the Chicago area to when the deaths occurred. Now, this right. this is when that, uh, I think Paula Prince was in the Walgreens, and she is on video surveillance. They th- a, yeah, they think it looked like and, him in the background. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's the back of his head, but who knows? But law enforcement didn't have enough to prosecute Lewis. But his letter did lead him being convicted of extortion, and he was yes. sentenced to 20 years in prison. I think it was two 10-year 10 10 things. One was for um, the postal stuff Yeah, when he was doing all that uh, credit card, uh, whatever, fraud, but credit he, card parts. He only yeah. served 13 years. Right. Now, so basically, he served the same amount of time as the other guy for killing the guy. Yeah. Pretty much. Which don't make any damn sense. Yeah. Now, while he was in prison, he offered some help. This help included him going into crazy detail about how someone could go about injecting capsules with lethal doses of cyanide. Yeah, I think it was. They really <laughs> thought he'd done it, so they was trying to trip him up, going, "Well, look, okay, we know you didn't do it, but if you did, how would you do it? Yeah, how would you do this? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Oh, he's probably just trying to look badass for yeah. the investigators, which is stupid." Now, Lewis was released in 1995, and he and his wife now live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Hmm. And he released a fictional book in 2010 about death by water poisoned with lead in southern Missouri. Hmm. And when he did interviews about his book, any questions about the Tylenol murders were directed to his lawyer. (laughs) No comment. Yeah, he didn't comment any further. Now, there was one other suspect. Her name was Laurie Dan. She was poisoned and shot a number of people in May of 1988. And this was a rampage in and around Winnetka, Illinois. She'd done a bunch of weird stuff. Didn't yeah, she? and she was briefly considered as a suspect, but no connection was found. Yeah, I think she tried to poison some juice boxes and some, some kind of uh, bars of some kind of food, right? Yeah. 
And then we went to see people she hadn't seen in years, and then all of a sudden showing up and giving them snacks or mailing it to them. But it, nothing really worked. We said just the bo- juice boxes were leaking and just the stuff. But she did, uh, I think she did go follow a kid into a school once, a 10-year-old boy, and shot him, right? Yeah. And then went into another classroom and done some stuff. But she was, she was kind of out there. Yeah. But now, like I said, there were some more copycats going on, too. Right. Immediately following all this and one was a woman died in Yonkers, New York, after taking extra strength Tylenol that was laced with cyanide. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman named Susan Snow and a guy named Bruce Nickel. This was in Washington State, and they ingested Excedrin capsules that had cyanide in them. Mm-hmm. Now, Nickel's wife, Stella, was arrested and convicted for both murders. Now, there was a guy named Kenneth Ferries. He was a University of Texas student. He died in his apartment after taking cyanide-laced anison capsules. Hmm. So there's some, there's some copycats going on. And his death was the first that was labeled a homicide. And the medical examiner eventually changed ruling to suicide, stating that he obtained the cyanide from a lab he worked oh, at. Oh, wow. Now, and also in 1986, in Capron, I'm not even familiar with that. I guess that's a, a pain reliever. I guess. In Capron was recalled after a hoax in Chicago and Detroit. And the recall resulted in sales drops and the withdrawal of pain reliever from the market. I guess that's why you don't know. That's it why is. you don't hear of it. Mm-hmm. The response to Johnson and Johnson, their company was praised, like we said, for her how they handled this crisis, and the market share for the company rebounded in less than a year after it dropped from thirty-five percent to eight percent. Yep, and then they went right back up in a year. That's just crazy. Yeah, November it introduced capsules. That were now in a triple seal package right you know and i'm sure they had uh i'm sure they've done a lot of damage control and they probably mm-hmm. had the ceo on there you know doing commercials and doing a lot of stuff you know to try to gain the trust back from the yep. people yeah and there are some people who think the contamination happened somewhere along the distribution chain mary reiner's daughter mm-hmm. michelle rosen she actually thinks that johnson johnson covered this up right and i she has a website devoted to this and she's committed to proving that they were involved covering up covering up something we should reach out with her see if she'd like to talk to us yeah. it'd be really cool to know what she thinks i'm sure she knows a lot more than uh we we know here but it didn't go that far Dale. it went a lot further now the tylenol murders they prompted food and consumer products as well to introduce tamper-resisting packaging. Yeah, definitely. You think, now, what do you buy that's not? Everything you buy, food, anything like that, has a tamper seal on it. Yeah, I mean, all the way down, toothpaste, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Product tampering was also made a federal crime. You know, you'd think it would be that before, but I guess I guess that was the age of innocence, huh? Yeah. Yeah, because back then, you could go to the store... And you can open up a bottle and smell of it. Oh, yeah. Smell the product. And if it smells bad. Mm-hmm. Check out, a, open a jar of peanut butter and check it out. There's no mold in that. Let's buy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, peanut butter smells good. Let's go together. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Just put it back and let somebody else have that one. But this Tylenol murders changed a lot of things back yeah. in 82, man. Yeah. And uh, capsules become less prominent, you know, and uh, over the county stuff. I'm sure you still get them, you know, if you go to a pharmacy or something, but. Most of the time now, you hardly ever see capsules anymore. Yeah, it went to caplets yeah. and tablets. Mm-hmm. Jail caps and all that stuff. So they pretty much changed the world. It did. I mean, Finn and I look at it, but that's definitely what happened. 
But uh, people, like we said, people think that 911 changed the world, and it did. Oh, it did. But this changed the world before 911. Yeah. 911. 911. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. It's just, they say it was basically a, the mad poisoner, I guess. Yeah. But they is still unsolved to this day. Still unsolved. Don't know who did it. Don't know why they did it. No. And then they've tried several things to flush them out. You know, they, they, one guy wrote an article basically telling, you know, like, where the little girl was buried and they stake him out and tried to see if he would show up for that and mm-hmm. nothing ever came of that but it's still it's still pretty wild no motive don't really know why it just it, nothing really makes sense unless it's just somebody wanted to kill somebody for the hell of it yeah but i would really like to kind of know what's going on here but it kind of baffles you to think that somebody just went somewhere and bought a bunch of pills took them home took part refilled them with cyanide because you know everybody's got that laying around the house so put them back in the bottle and put them back on the shelf and waited. Yeah, that's right. So it's wait for the panic to hit. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's a that's that's basically what happened. But it, uh, I'm very pleased how it uh, was controlled and was handled. Yeah, know? especially back then when you know, like we said, um, all these were going on separately and nobody put them together. But that that. To be, I don't want to say non-technological, but, you know, for them not to be connected, I guess it's an mm-hmm. easy way to say, they did come up and take care of this pretty damn quick. They did. And if you think about it, it was, you know, those we, those seven people lost their life, but within just a few days, they kind of put it together and was right on top of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Johnson Johnson basically jumped in there and did what they needed to do to clear clear the shelves and clear their name i can't imagine going into a store back then after all this happened and i guess at the time everything would look contaminated yeah yeah everything yeah it's kind of like when covid hit you think everybody was everybody, had covid yeah yeah exactly if somebody coughed they had covid oh my god run yeah but back then you think everything was contaminated yeah because before it was you know one day nothing even seems out of place doesn't even matter within 36 hours you're scared to death yeah of every every product every product so it's pretty crazy pretty crazy so, that is the tylenol murders yes. and we're approaching the 40th anniversary of that mm-hmm. and still don't know nothing no. and uh, the re- reward money still stands hundred thousand dollars yeah if you know who did it turn them in yep <laughs> take the money that's right all right dale we are going to get out of here dude well, let's roll we want everyone to be safe be careful and always be aware of your surroundings and check your tamper-resistant <laughs> seals. Because the next episode could be about you. This is The, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.